Hey, where's your FMF pin at? You ever been walking through the Navy Exchange and wonder why all the Naval Pride and Heritage gear is horrifically ugly and you wouldn't actually wear it? Have you ever wanted some really cool gear and you just don't know where to go? Well, I got you, fam. Go to dgutsapparel.com immediately. Get yourself some Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Uh, we're working on new designs all the time, open to ideas. We're trying to create a brand that uh, lets you display that pride, but doesn't make you cringe. Uh, also, if you're willing to and you're able to, please go to patreon.com slash podcast, pick one of the five tiers, and become a patron today. What's up, everyone? Welcome again to another episode, episode two, of Hey Doc, Do You Have a Second? Today, we're going to talk about that elusive FMF pin. I'm seeing more and more junior sailors say, nah, I'm not going to get it. And I want to kind of address that later on in this episode. But hey, the FMF pin is the, it's the most cherished one that we can have as a corpsman. It has so much heritage, has so much history to it. And I'm talking about back before it was even a pin. And believe it or not, if you didn't already, if you didn't already know, it was a service ribbon before it was a pin. So today, I'm going to discuss the background of it. I'm going to talk about you know, the process or what the process looks at at my command on how to get it. I'm going to talk about the program that I inherited as a battalion FMF coordinator. Things that I changed, things that I'm trying to change and implement to make the program worthwhile. We all know that the LCE portion or platform is one that most people don't want to have or don't have pride in. But there's a time and place to have pride in that platform. So let's get into it. Okay, so like I said, let's get into some of the background of the FMF pen. If you go back to prior to 2006... It was a known, you know, program, and it instead of a pen, it, you got a service ribbon. And I've only met one person that has, or at least noticed that they had a FMF service ribbon. But even before it was a known program, Corman still did what Corman have always done. We, or Corman back then, still did medicine in the field. And when you think of the FMF pin today, that is what you think of. That grunt corpsman, that division corpsman that is out in austere environments with their Marines, saving lives. Now, the FMF pin doesn't have anything to do with medical, minus, you know, the one chapter. But in its essence, it is about integrating with the Marine Corps. And I don't know many corpsmen that don't have pride in integrating with the Marine Corps. I've met almost no almost no corpsman that said, I'd rather serve Blue Side. 
Now Greenside comes in different flavors. You have that, you know, air component, ground component, the, com- the component I'm at, logistics. And now there's even another platform, Marsoc. They have their own platform now. So that's four different ones in one, you know, badge that you wear on your uniform. The program that would enable you to wear a service ribbon became into a thing because Corman didn't really have a way to earn a warfare badge or warfare qualification. Like many other rates who were serving on ships or with CBs or subs. So the program come into, came into existence to bring the Corman rating up to the same standard as other ratings. And then in the early 2000s, the service rhythm ribbon started, you know, disappearing or started transitioning to the FMF pin. And then by 2006, it was a full-fledged program and the service ribbon was obsolete or at least not awarded after that. Now, I served with a, a lot of corpsmen, a lot of junior, some in the middle, and then some salt dogs who actually have served before 2006, but very minimal. I know of like a handful of HM1s that are that joined before 2006, and then most of them are, you know, chief and above. So you're not really going to see many people wearing that ribbon. But take a look next time you see one of those seasoned corpsmen, one of those chiefs, master chiefs, maybe even HM1s. Now in today's Navy, the FMF pen is still a prideful thing to have. We may not be in that conflict that we used to be in the early 2000s, but it's still something that you earn. I take pride in mine, even though I'm LCE, because I understand now the importance of LCE, and I understand the integration of all the units under a logistics component. And when you look at the big picture, every platform has their spot. I do hope I go division next time, though. I'll say that. Okay, so I'll leave the history right there. Say you're a new reporting corpsman to my unit. When you're walking around the battalion and company with your check-in sheet, you're going to come see me. So what's the process? How do you get the FMF pin? What's the time frame? Because I've seen it all. I've seen people who come in and get it in two months. I've seen people get it right at the last day before they go dink. I've seen people go dink and then get it after they go dink. And then they kill it on their boards. And we always ask them at the end, why in the world did you wait so long? We, we dislike seeing people go dink. And especially see we dislike seeing people who get it after they have went dink before. So back to the new check-in. You're going to come see me. I'm going to first and foremost draft your page 13. And when I read you that page 13, it's going to talk to you about, or it's going to, it's going to state what your time frame is, and it's all depending on the rank. And if you have a FMF pin already, 
but you're there to recall. But if you're an initial, you got to look at the op nav. It'll tell you what rank gets what time frame. I'm not going to go in the weeds, but look up the op nav that discusses the whole program and how it's supposed to be ran. There you will find your answers. Now, I'm going to read off that page 13 to you. I'm going to tell you when you got when you enrolled, which is the day you report, and then I'm going to tell you the day that you go dink if you get to that point. Then you're going to say I do or do not intend to write a statement, and then you're going to sign your name and date it. You're now enrolled into the FMF program. What's next? Well, you got to get the material. You can't get called if you don't have the book and the PQS. Now, every single new person that comes into my office and, you know, enrolls into the program, I give them two websites. I give them myfmf.com, which is some reserve unit who has their whole program online, public domain, which has all the material on it. MyFMF.com has highlighted sections of the specific platforms so that you can, that you don't even have to highlight the book yourself. You literally just print that thing out, put it in a little booklet format, and study the highlighted sections. They also have study guides, which takes off all the unnecessary words and verbiage and gives you the meat and potatoes. Second website I give you is GoHMU. Dot com, dot org, whatever it is. Most corpsmen should know what that is. But on there, they have really good quizzes. And that's really the only... Ref- I only give that reference out because you can do quizzes on there. And I think they have flashcards. Just know the way you study. If you haven't taken a test or quiz on how you study or how well you retain information, I would start there before you even start studying this material because some of it can be dry. Some of it, it can be very long. And you're going to have to push through it and make it interesting. Now, most units should be providing you the book. In fact, all units should be providing you the book and the PQS. And when I say book and PQS, there's four different ones. You have the core material, the platform material, the PQS for the core, PQS for the platform. Now, what I did and what I tell people they can do, but I do not tell them that's what they have to do. But you can go out in town to, you know an office depot, staples, whatever, and have them print it and bind it for you in a small booklet format so you can throw that thing in your pocket and you don't have to carry around some big binder that no one wants to carry around. Then you just look like, you know, the new guy on the block because you're carrying around your FMF book. After you get your material, you start studying. There should be a class that you, that your unit or your coordinator should be providing you. Your platoon, your company, your battalion, whatever they're called, the coordinators that are in your unit, they should be providing you lessons, presentations, hands-on skills. They should be teaching the material. If they're not, they're failing you inside this program. My coordinators, they hold their own classes because at my battalion, we only provide a course every month or every other month. And that's because we work with other units and we alternate months typically, because of the time investment that you have for a week-long course. Now, your unit should be providing you a course of some sort where 
you have presenters and coordinators who teach you the material in one sitting and you're able to, you know, just focus on that. No other distractions. Something in a classroom setting is very beneficial. But back to the book, you should be studying that. And what you do is you walk around that book in PQS and once you think you know it, you go up to some coordinator or whoever is designated in writing on, you know, that can sign off the book or PQS, you would say, hey, quiz me. I think I know this or say, I know this. And they're going to quiz you. And if they're doing their job right, say you spill off, you know, you rattle off something in the book, but it ain't perfect. They say, nah, try again. They should be hard on you. They should be telling you, do it better. If you're able to go up to them and, 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 and pass it with flying colors the first time, they're setting you up for failure at your mock board or what we usually call murder board. Because that's going to be hard and you're going to start forgetting stuff, you know, hours into it and whatnot. But from the day you check in and start studying and in between classes or prac apps, you should be having people quiz you on the material and trying to get your signature signed off. Now, at my unit, we require, well, actually, per instruction, it is required that you complete your practical applications and have your whole PQS signed off before you take the written exams. Now, there's a select few chapters in the book that are considered practical applications. In your mock board, murder board, they are going to quiz you on the material in the book on that section, but you also have to perform physically or hands-on in a test environment on those chapters. Okay, let's fast forward. Say you get all the PQS done. Say you went to a course where they completed the prac apps. Now what's next? Well, now it's time to do your murder board. And that's where what everyone frets. And you should be anxious. You should be nervous about going into your murder board because it's supposed to be hard. And in, in the murder board, you should be articulating well everything in that book because from cover to cover, it's testable. And you don't you don't get to bring in any cheat you know cheat sheets or anything like that. You usually get usually get a few minutes prior to executing the board and you get to write down everything on a scratch sheet of paper. So let's talk about the board. The murder board is done differently at every command. And it depends on who's running that board. But it should look look similar to this. You're gonna you may or may not have to knock on the door and report. I don't know how the units do it, but every I've you know I've heard that other units do it this way or other ways. But you're gonna knock on the door, go in, report, and then you're gonna sit down at a table and there should be you know, three or so more people sitting in front of you. All subject matter experts, all coordinators, or people who are well-seasoned within the FMF program. And the guy right in front of you, or girl right in front of you, will be the court or the, the chairman of that board. They are running it, they're de- they are deciding, you know, if you pass or fail, with input from the other members. You may go in there alone, or you may, depending on how your command does it, 
allow you to board with multiple people. I've heard for other warfare pins, you you know, you may go in with a lot of people. But typically in my unit, you usually have one, two, or three people getting boarded at one time. We don't like to do more than three or four people. Some people can squeeze by or slip by when you have too many. And we don't want anybody wearing that pin unless they know exactly what we need them to know. So your murder board may be hours long. It may be a couple of days long. I don't know why it should ever be a couple of days long unless you have, you know, legit reasons why you have to cut it off at the end of the day and restart the next day. But it should be, you should be doing your murder board in one go as, as you are able to do that. Now, once you pass your murder board, then you go to the chief coordinator and whoever else is the assistant coordinator. Like in my instance, me and a fellow first class are the program managers, but ultimately it's the CMC's program and they designated a chief within our battalion who we report to as well. So it's a chief and two first classes. We sit all the final boards and we usually have somebody from the murder board or somebody from that company or platoon there as well with the member so that we can all witness and all know that, hey, that person's good to go. Now, your final board is also done differently unit to unit. Typically, it's it's still a formal process, so you should be coming in there reporting or however your you know, unit does it, and... Typically, they're not going to be as arduous as a murder board, but it's still just as pertinent to be correct on your answers. You may not get asked as many questions or get as deep in the weeds with as you would as on a murder board, but with less questions, it's easier to fail. I'll leave it at that. So say you've passed your final board. You're done. You're done for yourself. Now you just started with giving back to the program. Too many people come to our final boards and they say, peace out, I'm done, I'm throwing this book away, I'm data dumping everything I just learned because I was dumb, I didn't like it. I give them props for doing it. I don't give them props for dropping their pack. Once you complete your final board, you get pinned, you get to walk around your command for however long you are there with that shiny device on your chest. You know, you stick out when you're wearing that pin. Every Marine is going to see that and say, hey, there's a dock. And that's important. But when you're walking around with that, people expect you to know certain things. Don't data dump it. us unit coordinators or program managers are going to expect you to give right back to the program. Go teach lessons. Go teach the people that aren't qualified yet. Show them that you care. Character is very important these days. So I'm going to say it one last time. Give back to the program. That's the whole process in a nutshell. What's the time frame? Well, like I said, I saw a guy 
or I witnessed a guy get it done in two months. There ain't no way. He knows everything in that book. There is no way he actually understands what he's talking about. And I'm willing to bet the dude hasn't even been to the field. And he's walking around with an FMF pen. I don't know many people are going to be okay with that. You know, he may have regurgitated all the information. Cool. I did the same thing. I regurgitated all the, all the information in the book. I was a, I was a daggum robot. But that's not cool. You got to actually understand what you're talking about. You need to be able to intelligently articulate what you're saying. Also, waiting to your dink date is wrong too. And then in an ideal world where you're not deployed or not going TAD every every other month or going to the field, well actually if you're going to the field, that should make it easier to get it. If you're not leaving your organic command, you should be able to get the pin within six months to a year. And I say a year, and that's like pushing it. Six months, you should be doing a field op or two within your first six months of checking into a command. Depending on your platform. Now for the air side, I can't I can't speak to them, but for division and and logistical or logistics, you should be doing something in the field or at least get hands-on with field equipment and what we actually do. You know, when you are doing your boards, you actually know what you're talking about and you're not just rambling off what you learned in the book. Six months. I, I think that's about the right time frame. Six to eight. I'll say that optimistically. I got mine done like right at the six, seven month mark. I had already done field offs. I had already done TADs. And I literally got my pen and then went on another TAD. Like, actually, my CMC pinned me in the parking lot as I'm about to go on another TAD. So. Just because you're in and out doesn't mean you can't get it either. It should be your number one priority when you get to a greenside unit. And I think we're I think we're losing sight of that when people check in. Yeah, take care of yourself. Yeah, if you have life scenarios that inhibit you from getting it, take care of yourself. But if you are capable, you should be having that book in your hand every single day and getting quizzed every single day. I can't stand seeing new people check in and they ain't, they don't have that book in their hand and they ain't studying. Now, it's up to us program managers to keep our coordinators in line so that they are teaching and holding the new guys to a standard. And I've 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 listened and been told about other communities it's different at every community and every warfare device. And in the old days, you weren't you weren't caught without a book in your hand. Now I'm younger than that, and I didn't get my pen when I first joined, so I wasn't around that generation. So if you're wearing that pen, keep those sailors in line. Challenge them. Make it make it a positive thing. I'm not saying this. I'm not trying to talk down at all. I'm saying let's make this pen more worthwhile. Because after the you know a couple years of doing this, I found I, I kind of have a negative connotation towards it because I wish 
I wish it was something more that we had more pride in. And I wish these new people would want it more. I get it. Not everybody not everybody's going to get it. There's those anomalies or outsiders. And that's fine. But the the bulk of these people that don't have pen, we need to urge them and make them want to want it. Okay. I think I have laid out the program, the history of it, maybe an ideal process to get it in some time frames. So let's now get into my experience running the program. I get to, thankfully, I get to work with a fellow first class and a chief, and we all work within the same, you know, hallway or whatever. So we're always around to help people within the program. Now our job is is a majority administrative and I that's not who I am inherently because I like teaching. I like having, you know, groups of people and trying to move them along within the program. I don't really I I mean yeah, I don't care as much about record keeping and you know doing all the paperwork and all that stuff like that's there's no pride in managing that i truly like instructing and and teaching the new guys the actual why behind the material in the book and not so much hey learn this no hey you didn't say that right you got to say it exactly how you know this way now there's stuff in the book that needs to be verbatim there's stuff in the book that you know we're looking for certain phrases because it tells me that our people are teaching you you know the correct information and you're retaining the correct information but my main focus now is just running quality courses for the unit when my fellow first class and I took on this program, we inherited not the best program. It looked great. I can tell you that right now. It looked great on face value. Everybody passed the test. Now that statement right there should raise some flags. I went back in the record keeping and I found that no one failed a test. Or if they failed one, you know, they passed the second time. To me, statistically, that just doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Now, the the day I took over, people started failing. Well, that makes me look bad. I don't care, though. Because I, I like to have a, I like to have a program that has integrity. So when people fail, they failed. Come back next month. Try again. When you're taking the test. And when I'm, what I'm talking about is, we have a course where you take the test at the end of the course, and it's a week-long course. And that's what it was when I inherited this program. People would show up to a class with no PQS signed, and people would have their PQS signed as they were teaching the courses or getting taught the courses, the chapters. And then at the end of the week, you would do your test, and if you passed your test, you did your PRACAPs. And sure, that's fine for getting people qualified. Because they're going to have to learn the material somehow. 
you know, when they do the murder in Final Board. So there's no way of cheating it. As a whole, there's no way of cheating your way through this board. Unless people are hooking you up and passing you when they shouldn't. Now also, the program I inherited when I went back into record keeping, there was a lack of record keeping. So if you're a pro, if you're listening and you're a program manager of any qualification, please have a polished product when you pass that along to the next guy or girl. That's what I wish I had. So the first six months of me taking over a program, I was just cleaning up what was there and trying to backfill what wasn't. And when I'm talking about, I'm talking about administrative certs, page thirteens. The the electronic tracker that we have for all the dates and how some stuff was was kept in a paper format, but other stuff was kept electronically. There was no organization in the share drive on how if I want to go look up someone's page thirteen, I couldn't just go find it because there's a thousand folders that none of them made sense. Now I don't want to sound like I'm just complaining about the program that. I walked into, but it did, and if anything, I'm thankful for walking into that because it put a fire under my butt to to improve it. So we started trying new things, me and my fellow first class. We first changed the the class at our command to, hey, you have to have that PQS before you walk in this door. Because we're not going to give you we're not going to give you signatures just because you listen to a presentation, and then you can take your tests and precaps. So we started that initiative. Hey, we have a class in two months. Don't send anybody there that doesn't have their PQS fully qualified or fully signed off. And we got a bunch of pushback, but that's okay because you, you you're not going to be able to take the test until it's done anyway. But after a few months of trying that, we just had people not showing up. So now what we're doing is we have a course every month or every other month where there's no test facilitated. You can just come, no PQS, we don't even care. Just come and learn the material. And I think that is what's, what should be program, or that's what program managers should be doing. You should be offering a class you know, monthly or quarterly or whatever you deem necessary. And there's no stress because there's no tests or whatever so that new people can check in and you can, you know, have them with no distractions and tell them, hey, this is the program and now sit here for a week or two and we're going to teach you everything in the chapters. We're going to give you all the stuff that we know to help you pass your murder board and your final board. We're going to teach you how to you know, the etiquette in a board. I think that's very important, and that's what we're doing now, and, I've, and I'm realizing that's what we should have been doing from the get-go. Forcing people through doesn't make a program good. It's not a program with integrity. And that kind of brings us into the, well, it's required, it's, or the, the qualification is required. In my opinion, I think it shouldn't be because I only want people getting it if they want to get it. And it should be something that's incentivized so that if you do have it, it looks good on you and it's not just, hey, thank you. You did what you're supposed to do. 
And a lot of people have mixed opinions about that, and that's okay. So that's some of the headaches I had to deal with when inheriting or getting turned over with a program. Not everything you get turned over to is going to be a polished product. Just know that if you're a coordinator or a program manager of any program. There may be some catching up you're going to have to do. There may be some administrative errors or lack of documentation that you have to fix. And don't be afraid to change things because the program we had at the beginning, you know, a year ago to what it what we have now is far better. It's something that has integrity and we're changing the mindset of people who are getting the pen at our unit to where, hey, this is something you have to earn and this is something, you know, worthwhile. Now, within that year, there's a lot of failures because we had to change a bunch of stuff. And we shouldn't be we shouldn't have to try to change things. There should it should be very standardized, but the op nav is like a page or two long. So there's some there's some interpretation to be had when you're running that program. Now, what I also want to talk about are some scenarios or experiences I've I've dealt with with personnel, with sailors who, you know, just aren't going to get it. I, I hate seeing it when I look at the tracker and there's like 10 people, you know, within a month or two of going dink. Don't you be one of those people that ask for an extension when you've had over a year to get the pin, but your TAD. But your TAD location is on the same base, and you have a cell phone. Don't come to us a month before you go dink and say, I need an extension. Well, you just had like 12 to 15 months to get it. Why aren't you talking to us now? Because what we've been seeing are, well, at our unit, a lot of people go TAD for, you know, X amount of months. And they're using those TADs as excuses to not get the pin. They're like, oh, we don't have any time. Or we didn't have coordinators there. But HM or HM3, HN, HM2, so-and-so are showing up next week for a final board who works with you. They were able to do it at the same location you were. Extension should be a very rare thing to do. If you were deployed and you're and there was no way for you to get to the pen, yeah, you're gonna get an extension. If there are some life things that happen that where you know you just weren't capable of getting it, yeah. Extensions are probably appropriate. But if you're just the average person at a command doing field and doing TADs and you aren't like leaving an area where you have no, or as long as you have communication with people who can quiz you and you have time to go do boards and stuff, yeah, you, you're capable. And we've been seeing, and I'm talking about my experience only, we've been seeing a lot of people try to get extensions at the last minute. Or people go, are getting qualified the day before they go dink. Trust me, you're not going to walk around with a reputation that is very high if you're someone that's getting their pin at the last second. 
that means you spent a majority of your time at that unit with no with the pin not on your chest. Now the people who are recalling, they can get away with it more, but you shouldn't be getting pinned at the last part of your the last part of your time at a unit. You should be trying to get that early on so you can le- go go walk around the unit proud of what's on your chest. Proud that you know how the Marine Corps operates. Proud that you are integrated with the Marine Corps. It's something to be proud about. And what I hate to see the most is, you know, these HM2s and HM1s that aren't getting qualified or they're, you know, knocking on our door the last day. And then we ask, what's taking so long? You have like two weeks to get pinned or to get qualified. Oh, well, you know, I was TAD here, you know, and then I was working, you know, shift hours or there was no coordinator at my location or just simply they don't know. You got, you got, I literally qualified an HA the other day. Who's been TAD his whole time at our unit? And the only thing he said was like, I wish I would have got qualified like two months earlier when I was a <laughs> HR. Don't let the junior guys make you look bad if you're an HM2, HM1, and you're not qualified. I get it. Plenty of people, myself included, go to their first green side later on in their career because not everyone gets green side orders or operational orders their first or second duty station. But that should make you want to get the pin even more. That's the only thing I cared about when I first joined or first got to where the command I'm at now. I don't want to walk around as an HM2 with no pin and there's HNs and HM3s walking around seasoned. When I was getting my pin or when I was studying for my pin, I was getting quizzed by HNs. And they're kicking my teeth in. <laughs> They weren't let they they weren't lenient with me at all, and I'm thankful for that. I feel like I'm rambling, but I also think I'm hitting the point. Some of the best boards I've sat in were the junior guys, and a lot of the stuff I ask about as a battalion coordinator or a program manager, whatever you want to call me. What I care about when you come see me and Chief and the other board members at your final board is that you know what you're saying. So at my final board, I'm going to ask you stuff that's not in the book. When the book says, you know, a certain regiment, a certain battalion, I'm going to ask you what regiment are they referring to in the book that is on our base or our, you know, region. It's cool that you can regurgitate their mission, but where are they located on this base? Do you know anybody that works there? Do you know the history of our command and do you know the significance of the, you know, last few deployments that we have people in this command that were on those? We ask a lot of or that's specifically me. That's that's the stuff I ask at a final board because I at, you're you're coming to the final board having passed a, a murder board. You've you've regurgitated the information. You've done that process. 
And if you don't know it at, my, at the final board, I'm not going to fail you on that. I'm just going to educate you so that you pass the word down to the other people when it comes time for them to get their pen or for time for them to murder board and final board. With the changes that the program managers and I have done, we're starting to see improvements with people coming to the final board. Because when we took over, there's some the information that was getting presented to us at these boards were starting to get watered down. But now we're starting to see, you know, information getting tightened up. People are able to articulate more in depth the topics or the stuff in the chapters. And we're starting to see people are coming to our final boards knowing specific unit names, where they're at, people there, how they operate with other units. So I can tell that the stuff that we're doing is impacting the people, the new people that are showing up because we're seeing it come back to us at the final board. So I'm starting to have a positive outlook on the program now. I started getting jaded when I first took over because there's some difficulties to and some hurdles to get over, but now I'm starting to see positive. I'm starting to see people get the pen early. I'm starting to see people actually care about getting it. And that makes, you know, going to work a lot easier. That people that this pen is worthwhile to them. So if you're a coordinator or you're a person wearing that pen, I like to challenge you to get more involved with your unit's program. Start taking those junior sailors out there and teaching them. Get hands-on with them and teach them the material that are in the book. But don't just make this book a memorization as it can easily become. Make it worthwhile and start teaching them the why behind the material. So that when the day comes where we need to be, you know, deploying with other units and whatnot, we actually understand what's on our chest because it actually is very important. A lot of stuff I'm reading on Reddit and online where people are just saying, hey, I'm about to, I'm trying to get my FMF pen. What, you know, what should I do? What's going to help me study all this stuff? And people are just like, memorize the stuff, memorize the book. We're giving them bad gouge. We need to make, tighten it back up. Bring it back to the old days where, you know, it was your priority. And if you're someone listening that thinks it's dumb to get the pen or why why should I? If what I've talked about doesn't ring a bell or you don't see any importance of the integration with the Marine Corps, then from an LPO's perspective, get the pen because it's a hard thing to do, right? If I have two sailors or if there are two sailors that work in my section and one gets it because they're motivated to get it and one gets it but I know they don't want to get it but they're getting it because they know they should that's more impressive to me than someone just showing up motivated and getting it cool they're not the po- they're not the people that I'm concerned with but when you when you show me that character that positive character of you're doing something even though you don't want to do it that's impressive I want to work with you so if you can't find any other reason, just do it because it's something you should do and it's hard. 
a lot of people just don't do it because it, it's just hard. And that's just sad. Of course it's hard. It's supposed to be hard. There's things, things in life that's hard. You got to learn to get over those hurdles. Okay, so I think I'm going to wrap that up. I may have rambled a bit on this one. But I'm very passionate about this program. I just wanted to get things off my chest that I've experienced and share with you some of the stuff on the other side of the curtain of a program manager. I enjoy what I do. In this episode, I may have came off uh, negative. I may have I may have complained about a few things, but ultimately, I have a positive intent or a positive, a positive outlook on this program. And I think... Many people out there still have pride in the FMF pen. When I speak maybe negative to it, I'm just talking about some of the things I've seen in my own personal experience, and everybody's experience is going to vary. So you can take it with a grain of salt, but I just want to give you a little peek into my world. So please join me on the next episode. I got to interview another great friend of mine. He is an HM2 in the Navy. And he has done some cool stuff. I don't want to talk about too much of it because I go in depth on the intro of the next episode. But if you want to hear a unique career path from a phenomenal corpsman, please watch out for the next episode that will be released. Peace out.